0: This is this Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. Thank you for those of you who are listening to this podcast for your first time. This is your first listen. Welcome to the podcast. For those who are coming back as subscribers, much appreciated. Thank you for being subscribed to the podcast. So today's episode, Red State, Blue State. Why am I calling it that? why is this something worth talking about? We're going to be talking today about the Virginia election. I know it happened like two weeks ago. Why are we talking about something that happened two weeks ago? I know in this day and age, it feels like if you're not talking about it, like the day after it happens then you just can't have a conversation anymore. It's like, why are we talking about the Redden House trial? We'll get to that. So we are talking about the Virginia election today. And I want to just point out that the things that we're going to be touching on are going to be what exactly happened, how the media reacted to it, my take on their reaction, and then why you should care. So obviously, let me just start out first and foremost by saying that, yes, while this episode, I I meant for this episode to actually come out a week ago, and for those who are interested in why the podcast has gotten a little off track as far as the scheduling is concerned. I'll be touching on that at the end of the episode, so just stay tuned for my explanation why things have gotten a little shaken up here, but there was a few takes that were kind of thrown out there about this election and what happened and why it happened and so on and so forth, and I just could not quite overlook exactly what I heard and what I saw, and so I just felt like I had to give my opinion on this one. Uh, even though it is a couple weeks in the past now. But let's normalize talking about news a couple weeks after it happens, everyone. Anyway, Glenn Youngkin, the Republican uh, candidate for the governorship of the state of Virginia, did in fact win by beating Terry McAuliffe. Now, Glenn Youngkin won by 2%. 50.6% to 48.6%. The media would have you believe that this was like some monumental win. But the truth be told is that Glenn Youngkin won by 63,000 votes in a state where 3.2 million were cast. Nevertheless, this is the first time that a Republican had won a statewide election since 2009. So this was giving a lot of cause for concern, especially with the fact that Glenn Youngkin was endorsed by President Trump, and that he spent a lot of time talking about critical race theory. And a lot of people were trying to make a way of tying this race with everything going on nationally. That, that was like one of the big, one of the big themes in the media. How can we look at what's happening in Virginia? And equate that to what's happening everywhere in the country, and they had all kinds of reactions to this this defeat of a Democrat in Virginia, where the Democrats have been undefeatable for the last decade or so. Not only having the governorship, but also having two state two senators who are blue. I believe every member of the house uh, in Virginia, I'm sorry, not not the congressional house, but the state house, I think was all like, was run by Democrats. The state Senate was run by Democrats. The Democrats had complete control over the state and to see a Republican win, it just, it felt like a lot of people were very shocked by this and they, they couldn't figure out why. So they had all kinds of reactions. Most of them were stoked in fear and lots of panic. They were saying that this was a victory for, white supremacy, that was a really big talking point amongst CNN and MSNBC. They were saying that the Republicans won because of critical race theory and because of wokeness, uh, because they were embracing the insurrection. Some people said that the reason why the Democrats lost in Virginia was because that Biden didn't pass an infrastructure bill quickly enough. And the voters in Virginia punished Democrats for that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so either. Okay. In fact, one of my favorite parts about hearing all of the bad clips are the good people who actually take all of these clips and they smash them together into what's called a supercut. So I'm going to let you listen to that here in a second. There's going to be a lot of different people you're going to be hearing talking here for the next minute or so, but these are all clips that were put together uh, from MSNBC and CNN they're all reacting to why they believe that Glenn Youngkin won the governorship in the state of Virginia. Here's that clip. Glenn Youngkin played the race card for a reason because
1: he knows it works on certain white voters.
0: He did stoke white grievance politics to mobilize the Republican base. He's laundered Trump's really sort of
1: disgusting flagrant out racism he's wrapped it in education education right which is code for white parents don't like the idea of teaching about race that's the fundamental problem for these parents and this anti-crt movement they don't like the way whiteness is being portrayed in these new more inclusive lessons
0: this wasn't about those pocketbook issues this was about how white kids feel talking about what black kids go through.
2: The subtext of all this was, we can't let these black and brown people run the
1: country. Glenn Youngkin running on critical race theory that he knew hit a chord around race. I think all the CRT stuff is trumped up dog whistling. Some of it was uh, dog whistle racism. The dog whistle messaging that you saw Youngkin engage in during the course of the campaign.
0: CRT is in the latest line of school busing, cross-town busing, the welfare Queens, you have it is in that same it's in that same line and you saw it in the in the results in Virginia. This more palatable Republican who still uses the
1: same racist themes that Trump did, he just packaged them in a soccer dad sweater vest model. He's found a way to launder a pretty racist trope, this idea that we cannot talk about America's history because it hurts my feelings.
2: He's turned that into a
1: campaign. White voters do have anxiety about a changing america right that it is blacker it is browner you've got the republicans yelling like hey look the black and brown folks are coming for us some republican candidates are perfectly willing to use race as a motivating factor for their base that has gone on for decades and it happened this year race is just the most palpable tool in the toolkit used to be of the democratic party back in the day when they were dixiecrats and now of the republican party this
2: is about the fact that a good chunk of voters out there are okay with white supremacy let's call a thing a thing actually scratch that they are more than okay
0: what the democrats theory of the case is is that the white non non non-college educated voter cares about things like kitchen table issues like infrastructure and pipes and how many gallons of milk you can put on the table i contend that what they care about is using their guns on black people and getting away with it that's what they want that's what they actually are in it for so there's a lot to unpack there i mean you just heard a bunch of different people saying a bunch of different things i do apologize if that was a little much uh, but my, my favorite bad take of everything that we just heard was the last person who spoke A person by the name of Ellie Mistel. I hope I'm pronouncing their name right. Uh, A justice correspondent at The Nation. Oh my God, where do I even begin with takes like this? Let me try to just unpack this like one thing at a time. So the first thing that I want to dispel is that this election was somehow like tied like nationally to to Joe Biden. Um, Now, CNN and abc ended up doing exit polls of people who voted you know the day of uh cnn in particular their exit poll asked close to four thousand voters um just a variety of different questions i'm going to focus on a couple of different uh answers that were given when voters were asked did your decision today have any impact whatsoever um because of Joe Biden like did the president's i uh did the president's job performance so far impact your decision to vote in in this governor election and half of them said no but to be fair the other half did say yes so it was it was a 50-50 thing and so you can kind of look at that one of two ways you know i guess you can say that what's happening in Washington DC was having a direct effect on what was happening In the state of Virginia, Uh, proximity, I'm sure has a lot to do with that as well, but also half the people weren't. But when you actually dig a little bit further into the details here, the two main issues that came up, and this was number one, number two, not only through CNN's exit polls, but also on ABC's exit polls, the number one thing that people were voting on in that election, the economy. Duh, I mean, it's always the economy. Uh, Number two was education. Now, education was something that was focused on heavily by the mainstream media. They were trying to make this out to be that everyone was voting on critical race theory, either for or against it. And that was the reason why so many people were, were voting, you know, like either for the Democrats or against the Democrats. Let, let, let me let me just pump the brakes on education for a second. The economy being the number one issue should be. Should have been very telling right then and there, like in that moment, it should have actually caused everyone kind of pump the brakes and stop and say the economy, you know, like, like, what exactly is it about the economy that has everyone so worried? I mean, there's a lot of different things that you could probably extrapolate from saying that the economy is your number one issue. But when I was going through listening to people talk about this, it seemed as though people kind of just skipped right over that and decided to focus on education, the end, primarily critical race theory. It seemed as though the media wanted to make this whole, this whole governor's race only about critical race theory and saying that if you voted for this Republican candidate, that you were a racist, or that you were believing in the dog whistling that was coming from talking points that are, that are like closeted racist, or that you were promoting white supremacy in some way, shape or form. And honestly, I, I, I just, I don't, it just, it feels incredibly lazy to me, but let's be fair. Let me just be fair to one thing in particular. I'm sure that some people in Virginia were in fact voting on this issue of critical race theory. As I've mentioned earlier in this season, critical race theory, isn't actually being taught in schools, but what is being taught in schools is I don't even know exactly how you would define it. Some people are calling it critical race theory adjacent, but but basically, it's an enhanced version of history. But in some school districts, there has been like diver- diversity, you know, like equity and inclusion that's being incorporated into some of these schools. And I, I think how it's being incorporated has been uncomfortable for some people in certain parts of the country. And in particular, in certain parts of Virginia. Now, during this race, uh, Terry McAuliffe, the Democratic governor candidate, was asked in an interview whether or not he thought that parents should have any kind of say in a school's curriculum. And he said no. Now, this ended up being something that his opponent, Glenn Youngkin, ended up using against him profusely. And, you know, attack ads were made on him about this. And also in this exit polling data, there was a question specifically targeted about this saying, do you believe that parents should have a right to have a say in a school's curriculum? That was apparently a very hot button issue for a lot of people in the state of Virginia, whether or not parents should have a right to have any kind of control over the school's curriculum. And and so... One of the things I'm trying to point out here is that, yes, CRT played some elements or just CRT adjacent, whatever, played some level of an element in people's decision making. I don't know that is exactly what people were really talking about when they said education. In fact, to CNN's credit here. They actually did some real investigating, went and talked to some real voters about why they made the decision that they made voting for Glenn Youngkin in this election. And they were asked what exactly it was particularly about education that they made that that their number one issue. Here's the clip of these voters talking about that.
1: The uh, school closures were really hard for a lot of kids and uh, one of my kids in particular really suffered when schools were closed. It affected my family dynamic. It, it affected my social circles. It affected every part of me that the kids couldn't go to school. And so I had to figure out, what can I do to make sure that that never happens again? And you feel mm-hmm. like even right now, not enough is being done to address their learning loss. And you yes, do that as a absolutely. crisis. We think yeah, our an <laughs> emergency. Our kids are in crisis. The learning mm-hmm. loss is real. So we're in a situation where our kids are really far behind. And they need a lot of help. They need a lot of additional tutoring. They need a lot of additional time after school to help catch them up. And they're still not focusing on that. How much did that factor into you, uh, for you, the CRT debate and everything? Definitely the education, the learning loss was number one for me. Everything else was below that. Mandates and CRT did not influence my decision at all. How about
0: for you, Sandra? No, mine was all about the school closures. So I'll give them credit in this moment, you know, CNN, you know, did the work. They went and interviewed people, actually asked them, why is it that education was your number one issue? And so it's interesting to me that these women in this clip were unanimous in their feelings about the school closures and how that was why education was their number one priority, their number one topic, why they would shift to voting for Glenn Youngkin. That conversation as a whole seemed to be missing, however, in the larger coverage that we saw across CNN, MSNBC, as they were focusing on why this election turned out the way that it did. And honestly, that's that, that's part of what's very troubling about all of this, because It just felt as though when you saw how the media was portraying the story, it was as if they were trying to turn this into some national referendum on critical race theory. But this is a very local example of why voters might flip to a different party in this particular case because of Virginia's uh, just remote learning policy in certain parts of the state. It seemed as though it was a very big issue for a lot of parents for a variety of reasons. And and so another thing to add on top of this is that it wasn't just one section of Virginia that actually drifted towards the Republican Party. When they did analysis on the state, found out that every single county in the state of Virginia actually went towards the Republicans. They moved away. From the Democrats, every single county, everyone. And, and so this notion that it's just like you know, just like a few people who are somehow like racist or they are you know getting caught up in CRT, so on and so forth. I just I just don't know if that's quite a good enough explanation about what exactly happened in Virginia. And I know that some people, you know, the day after the election or the day of. You know, they were, I saw this on Twitter. People were screaming about white women saying, oh, look at what white women have done. And I can't believe that so many of them would vote Republicans, so on and so forth. Okay. Let, let me just give you just the truth of the statistics here, because it's not quite exactly what it sounds like, because when you look at the aggregate, it, it shows you that yes, white women did move, you know, percentage points you know, like from Democrat in 2020 to Republican in 2021. But here's the data I want you to focus on a little bit. I think it kind of tells a little bit of a broader story here. White women with a college education in 2020, they went 58% for Biden. In 2021, they went 62% for McAuliffe. Now, white women who had no college education in 2020, they went 56% for Trump. But in 2021, they went 75% for Youngkin. And I think, truthfully, that's where the actual like discrepancy is, is that non-college educated white women, for whatever reason, actually went more towards Yunkin than they did even for Trump in this state. Now, I honestly am going to just level with you right here in this moment. I don't know exactly how to explain that's the statistics. I could probably give you a bunch of guesses. Uh, I could give you some educated answers as much as I can here. But to the original point that I wanted to make here, it's just kind of a lazy take to say that white women were the reason that Republicans or that Glenn Youngkin in this particular case got elected. It wasn't all white women. It was just a certain demographic of white women but it wasn't just even just this demographic of white women in fact white men also shifted towards the republican party black women shifted towards the republican party youngkin won a majority of the latino voters in the state of of virginia now the mainstream media again as you heard in that clip that i played earlier they just wanted to make this about like oh well people got caught up in in dog whistling they got caught up in racism they got caught up in just in wanting to enfranchise people who wanted to be racist towards black people that just that is just a really just lazy take i'm sorry it's just it's a very lazy take it's not indicative of what we're actually seeing here and i'm sure that black women who decided to vote republican I think the the demographic went from 8% who voted for Republicans in 2020 to 14% in 2021. And again, the majority of Latino voters, I'm sure that those people aren't white supremacists, but somehow they got labeled as such for voting Republican in this particular election. It just, it, it just not, it's not a good look. It, it, it really isn't. And the reason why I'm harping on this, the reason why this is so important to me, why I've been drilling this again and again and again, why I'm making the story about the mainstream media, they have an incredible amount of power and influence over the average everyday person. They have millions of people who hear them directly every single day, and then millions more who hear what they have to say indirectly through everyone who covers what they say, whether that's print journalism, independent media, uh, when people make memes and throw them around the internet, you know, they have an incredible amount of resources to actually thoroughly look at these stories and try to figure out exactly what's happening in these particular races. But instead of doing that, they took the path of least resistance try to turn what happened in Virginia into a single issue narrative and then run with that narrative again and again and again and again, probably because it was generating a lot of clicks and a lot of watch time for them online and on TV. And I just got to tell you, you know, if the if the goal, you know, like is because, you know, I, I think for most people, if you're watching CNN and MSNBC, you probably know at this point in time that these two stations Are basically just extensions of the Democratic Party. You know, like they represent the Democrats the way Fox represents the Republicans. You know, they all claim that that's not the case, but I think we all know otherwise, right? And so if CNN and MSNBC are supposed to be these extensions of the Democratic Party, do you really believe that you're, you know, gonna shame people into continuing to vote for Democrats by? Telling people who voted for Biden in 2020, but then voted for Youngkin in 2021, that they're now all of a sudden terrible people and racist when somehow they weren't a year ago. Is that the take we want to give? I just I just feel like it's incredibly it's incredibly lazy. And honestly, on top of being lazy, it's also misleading because The one thing that I saw again and again was just this absolute shock that a blue state like Virginia could elect a Republican for governor. Or also what happened on the same night was that New Jersey almost elected a a Republican for governor and New Jersey actually is even more of a blue state than Virginia is. And so there was like, what is going on? I can't believe a Republican might almost win new jersey how exactly did that happen but i just you know what also made me even more sad was the fact that some of my independent news sources who i routinely get media from even they were having these takes like oh what does this mean if new jersey almost goes red or virginia goes red like what does this mean nationally is this this indicative of what's going to happen in 2022 or 2024 look I I feel like this is the point where people just need to just just take a a deep breath and actually just maybe do a Google search or two, because it really isn't that hard to figure out exactly how how just a little overreactionary this actually is. Let me give you a few examples of what I mean. So for instance, currently, Kansas, a red state, as red as you can possibly be, it went plus 20 for Republicans in 2016 and plus 15 in 2020 for Republicans. The state of Kansas currently has a Democrat for their governor. Laura Kelly is her name. In Kentucky, again, a state that went plus 30 for Republicans in 2016, plus 26 for Republicans in 2020, they have a Democratic governor. His name is Andy Beshear. Also, the state of Louisiana, I do I have to tell you that it's a red state? It went plus twenty for Republicans in twenty sixteen. Went plus nineteen for Republicans in twenty twenty. They have a Democrat for a governor. John Bell Edwards is his name, and he's been elected not once but twice in twenty fifteen and twenty nineteen. He is their current governor, a Democrat in the South. But it's not just in red states; it's also in blue states. Currently. Larry Hogan is the Republican governor of the state of Maryland. Now, Maryland's not just a blue state, it's a super blue state. In 2016, Maryland went plus 27 for the Democrats and plus 33 for the Democrats in 2020. Now, Larry Hogan, again, a Republican, is considered to be one of the most popular governors in the country a republican in a blue state he's been elected not once but twice he is their two term sitting governor of maryland charlie baker is the republican governor of massachusetts again he is elected not once but twice he is serving his currently his second term massachusetts is another super blue state where they have basically identical stats to maryland in 2016 went plus 28 for Democrats, 2020, plus 33. And just like Hogan, Charlie Baker is considered one of the most popular governors in America. In fact, in 2018, in his second election, he won 67% of the vote. Now imagine for a second that that had happened in Virginia, right? The media would have lost their mind. They would have lost their mind. They're like, oh, what does this mean for the country? If a Republican can win 67% of the votes in a blue state, like is hell freezing over? But you know, that happened in Massachusetts just three years ago. I mean, this is this is what I'm trying to say. This really isn't abnormal. I mean, this actually goes on. Chris Sononu is the current Republican governor of New Hampshire. New Hampshire is one of two states in the country where their governors only serve. Two year terms. So Sononu has been elected three times now 2016, 2018, 2020. And right next door, Phil Scott, again, another Republican, is the governor of Vermont. So, in the same state that Bernie Sanders is a senator, they have a Republican governor. Now, this person actually just won again in 2020. So, in the same year, that Vermont as a state went plus 36 for the Dem- for Joe Biden they also elected a republican governor so th- this really isn't weird everyone it-, it really isn't it's not even weird for New Jersey people have short term memory when it comes to this but if you know who Chris Christie is he was the two term governor for the state of New Jersey a state which was just as blue when he was the governor another republican as it is currently today. Chris Kiste won comfortably in 2013, getting 60% of the vote one year after it sent Barack Obama into a second term. And honestly, I'm gonna just end this, this piece of all this little trivia here with my state of Montana, where Montana has been a red state forever. But in you know, 2004, the same year that this state, you know, voted for George W. Bush, they elected a democratic governor. And then in 2008, they voted for John McCain, but elected a democratic governor. And then in 2012, they elected Mitt Romney, but elected a democratic governor. And then again in 2016, elected a democratic governor the same year they elected Donald Trump. This really isn't a weird phenomenon. This happens across the country. And it is incredibly, again, this is probably the last time I'm going to say this. This is incredibly lazy and just misguided of our mainstream media to kind of misdirect us into thinking that this is something that doesn't happen really, or that this is somehow, you know, it means that, you know, the political like, landscape is shifting or that the dynamics that are happening there, everyone should be worried about. You know, the media. <sighs> we're seeing during this time of the pandemic right now that the media has in a lot of ways, you know, come under fire for people not really trusting what's going on with the pandemic with vaccines, so on and so forth. People are citing the media as one of the reasons why they don't trust what's going on with the pandemic because they just don't believe in the media, the, the, The polling for the media is at an all-time low. People are at an all-time low for their trust in our institutions, primarily our media and how we receive our information. Stories like this don't really help, They, they really don't because it wouldn't have taken that much effort for these large companies who have hundreds of millions if not billions of dollars at their disposal to just do a little bit of extra work and give the full story about what exactly happened in that state because the truth be told is that what happened in that state really isn't that strange it isn't that bizarre and it probably wasn't worth all the coverage it got it probably wasn't worth me doing this episode on it truthfully speaking but i just wanted to kind of bring my take to you about all of this because the big takeaway that i want you all to know is that i i understand that most people most people do in fact you know, absorb the news in a very casual way. You know, they trust the people that they receive their news from to be genuine and to be giving them the truth and the whole truth. And there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. I feel that weight every time that I come on here and talk to you about anything. I spend a lot of time trying to research any topic that I make an episode on because I wanna make sure that I'm being as thorough as I humanly can and it genuinely upsets me that I feel as though so many people in our country are kind of being fed narratives that are based on half-truths or being based on just, just lazy takes. And now there's so many people in this country who think that you know, what happened in Virginia is actually just nothing more than just a bunch of people embracing white supremacy, when really it's, the truth is so much more complicated than that. And honestly, on top of all that, that race was probably nothing that anyone outside of the state of Virginia ever needed to really hear about. But here we are. And so that's our episode for this week. But we're going to take a quick break, everyone. And when we come back, I'm going to have my guest for this week. So make sure you stay tuned. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors.
1: Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order.
0: Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us to another episode of Independent Thought. My guest for this week is Courtney V, the host of The Barbie Way Podcast. Courtney, how are you doing today? Thanks for coming on the show.
2: Hey, what is going on? Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: First time guest. I appreciate you coming on. And you know, as is tradition, whenever I have someone come on for the first time and they're a fellow podcaster, I always want to give them a chance to talk about their podcast before we get into the the political topics so could you just tell me a little bit about what exactly was the motivation behind starting your podcast and what can someone expect when they come to check you out
2: right so the motivation was just uh, free expression creative expression um, being able to connect with other people So a lot of my episodes in my first season was more so like personal journal style. You know what I mean? Like it was kind of experience I went through and so many people connected with me. So that was more motivating than anything. It kept me going. Yeah. Um and listening to my podcast, I would say you can get a handpick of everything. Um from obviously we don't talk so much about politics as you do (laughs) here. But maybe like relationships or some of the hot topics that are going on or just my views. I can't even think. It's really very versatile, very versatile. And some of the topics that we talk about Um, financial literacy, a lot of things that go on in the black community. Like I like to shed light and advocate on certain things like that. So, yeah, that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah. So. You know, that's interesting that you say versatile because I know that a lot of podcasters like to keep it simple or or like in, in one lane niche. You know, they, they, they want to talk about one specific thing over and over and over again. They think that being versatile is actually a bad thing, but you obviously don't feel that way. Why was it important for you to have like a, a wide array of topics on your podcast?
2: Mainly because um, I guess it's just, who I am to be honest like I come with layers and there are certain things where I indulge in like these topics like I may be so into this and I may be so into that it's like just because I created the podcast it's like I'm not gonna just it was really like again free expression so it's like whatever I'm thinking about at that time you know what I mean like I just I kept it as that and just been me so it's working. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so I think one of the things that I saw on your podcast recently, earlier this year, actually, yeah, I think it was not too long ago, you had an episode where you talked about vaccines and you seemed like you were a little bit hesitant, you know, in order to get the vaccine. Now, would you mind telling like me why you are hesitant to get the vaccine and what made you skeptical of, I guess, the government and pharmaceutical industry, so on and so forth?
2: Right so I was very much um hesitant to even get the vaccine when it first came out only because how fast it was the ingredients wasn't even available to see what it was like it's possibly synthetic I just didn't trust it and not only that from the history of America um you know those type of vaccines that were created even though the Spanish flu was the last bad pandemic, like some of the Tuskegee experiment, like right. something that similar, it makes me feel like I'm just not going to be a lab rat. like I will want a hundred percent and it's not hundred percent.
0: Right. And no guarantee. It, it does feel like a lot of you know people that talked in the black community are very hesitant because of the, those Tuskegee experiments you know that were happening down in Alabama. And, you know, it's totally understandable why some people would be very much against that, especially when a lot of people think that politicians, primarily Democrats, only seem to come around the Black community when they want someone's vote, you know, especially. You know, I hear that a lot, especially come election year, that, you know, oh, they just come around once every four years right. when they want something from us. D- do you feel that also? Like, do you and your family, like, feel something similar to that?
2: Um, Not I I would I would say so. I would say so. Um, And I feel like at one point, my family was possibly on the Democratic side. You know what I mean? I remember like past elections, very old elections, whatever. But today, I do feel like the Democratic side does that. And it's based on all of these programs that they have provided throughout the years, like everything is giving, giving, giving. And I think they provided that for a certain community with a certain demographic. And that will always mean they're right there. It's just, you're right here. This is where you're at. And I think it was counted on for politicians. So everything worked out. It was just a 360 for everyone.
0: It does feel that. like sometimes that some of these politicians, primarily Democrats, feel as though that they can like take Black people for granted. Like They just expect that they can just show up and then they'll just get that vote. You know, I think right. what was it, you know, I mean, everyone kind of like references that time where Joe Biden said, you know, like, if you don't vote for me, then you ain't black. Right.
2: right? Not right. only that, he was in the barbershops and in and, and areas that you would never. So I, it's like it, it it does make you think like that and how even the media about it, like how they were having their small commercials and this and funny posts. It's like, you know, I don't know. I guess they were trying to attract a younger crowd too as well but because i feel like it's a lot of marketing when it comes down to elections so
0: yeah and I, I think one of the things that i've always been curious about is why do the democrats have such like a strong foothold within the black community right, right. i mean because it feels as though you know like after you know, Joe Biden went to South Carolina and won that primary, you know, basically like everyone just like threw their support behind him. Like, why do you think that so many people are, are behind Joe Biden, particularly?
2: I think so, to be honest, and to be honest, I think it's not so it's not just a black thing for me. But I think it's about people who are comfortable, allowing the government to to take care for them, because that's what a lot of the A lot of it stems down to like when you see it, Um, Joe Biden wanted to offer so much more. You know, he wanted to give this away and give that away. And granted, none of it, the the student loans didn't even happen. But what I'm saying is he promised all of these things. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And people banked on that and had faith on that because I need that you will do it for me, I'll do it, you know, yeah, I'll vote for you. And I think that's what they pride on in the Democratic Party because they know these people need us. So when you feel like these group of people need you, then, you know, I can tell them this and they'll go for that. But it never happens because even if they do give it to you again, you're still confined in this bracket. You'll never move up or down. So it's like, why are we why is that certain type of people relying so heavy? People just rely too much on help.
0: First right. And I see that, you know, time and time again, that people do more or less put their faith in politicians, you know, time and time again. And it does feel as though they don't really deliver on the promises that they said they were going to make. You know, Joe Biden, for instance, said that he was going to just wipe away at, at least $10,000 worth of student debt to everyone in America. Now, all he has to do is just, you know, sign his pen and then it's done. Right. Hasn't done that yet. You know, do you think that instances like that kind of lead into people more or less just losing their faith in politicians and maybe kind of leads into why people are so distrustful of the government?
2: I believe so and I think it's because we actually see it more now it's more televised than ever I think this was one of the first elections where what they had the most votes ever more people were aware people were at home because COVID watching what's going on seeing what's going on I think he was able to outreach so many people and and the pressure probably made him do that but I think now people get to see like he just wasn't a man of his word. I mean, not only that, this is so funny, but he was sleeping or uh, falling asleep. I think it's so funny with the the name uh, Sleepy Joe when it comes to Joe Biden.
0: Now, Donald Trump gave him that name. I, I didn't really think it was sticking that well. I mean, I mean, the man is old. I mean, he he's he's pretty old. No, but. he.
2: He actually had a, um, it was circulating on Twitter, a video of him kind of like, it literally looked like his eyes were closed. He was dozing off when he was in a meeting. I think, uh, I'm not even sure who it was, someone from Japan possibly, if I'm mistaken. Don't count my word, but he was falling asleep.
0: Do you think that those things matter? Like, does it matter if a president is, well, I mean, I mean, at 78 years old, he's an old old man. I mean, does, do you think that matters at all?
2: I think so when I know it's getting publicized because then it leaves room for people to, you know, like w- what I'm doing, formulate my own opinions. Why are you doing that? And then it's like, people are going to do that anyway. But it's just like, I don't know. I don't I don't think that would be acceptable.
0: No. So going back to the, the 2020 election, right. Joe Biden, Donald Trump, you told me that somebody really close to you uh, voted for Donald Trump. Like, what are you, what are your personal feelings on Donald Trump? And do you do you like do you support Donald Trump, or do you like look differently at people who support Donald Trump?
2: So here's the thing, I'm not against Donald Trump, right? And yes, I did have a loved one who who really who did that, and um, <laughs> it's just I didn't. I was shocked at first because at the time I was like. Trump felt like a bigot, like he wanted attention, and he was very blunt and outspoken, and I guess you could say passionate, you know, about whatever he talked about. But I think he also allowed room for the people in the and like white supremacy kind of uh, crowd to be more outspoken, to be more seen, to be more vocal, and actually put hurt in certain communities. Yeah. and start you know like a race war in a way and it may not have been intentional but you're the president of United States of America your influence is heavy so like that's why i think certain things that get publicized should you know that's why you have publicists everything should be you're you, you know you are a representation you're probably a model you're a role model i think that's major and i just feel like the value of it just decrease over like like having a president means what anymore
0: uh donald trump i mean has that's major but i'm, I'm saying
2: i'm saying like it's just like what's going on you know that's how it feels sometimes
0: it it felt as though donald trump more or less changed the whole landscape about what it meant to be a president and i think the whole time i was trying to remind myself that that's not what it's supposed to be like you know, just seeing uh, kind of the things he was doing, seeing the rallies that he had. I did an episode last year where I watched six of his rallies leading up to doing my episode on him, and yeah, I mean, it was like a comedy show. I mean, I felt he like treated killer, it like right. a performance. You know, he was trying to jazz Why? the crowd up. He was, you know, bringing people on stage. He was, you know, walked off a plane to his to a theme song. I mean, just it's not but exactly what that's I'm thinking wrong. of a do president. Do you think
2: it's kind of like um like a backfire into how America was just all built because like, again, what does it take to become the United States? I mean, you know, United States president, what does it take? I think you had to be like 30 something 30 US citizen. Yeah. And that's it.
0: Last time I checked.
2: I, that's what I'm so like, yeah. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. The qualifications are are, are pretty <laughs> low. And I, and I think there's a, a good debate <laughs> on whether or not that's a good thing. You know, that, there's a similar thing happening in my town right now. There's a, you know, the mayor, the mayor's race is going on in my city right now. And the only qualification to be the mayor of my city is you have to be 18 years old and you wow. have to live in the city. And that's it. And that's wow. it. Then anyone can run to be mayor. So, you know, maybe we should be uh, putting a little extra qualifications on running for office. But, you know, speaking of government itself, you know, I think one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about some of these issues was it does feel as though when I think about vaccines right now, when I think about what's happening in the country right now, it feels like a lot of people are losing their faith in the government uh, or just have lost it. And now we're seeing that kind of like translate in real time, especially with right. vaccines coming out. What do you think You know, could be done by the government to get people to actually start believing in them again on any level?
2: Uh, in a great world, honest, open communication, you know, like if there was a way, obviously, to get a a real message out there. And And the messed up part about it, I think that it just, it can't happen as far as the government trying to is because of technology today. Yeah, there's always going to be articles, blogs, and this and, and it's, it's always going to be a fight of look at me, Look at me. Hey, check this out. Check this out. Kind of thing. Right. And Disinformation lose is sight of the message, Exactly.
0: Yeah. So a little it's more transparency, said. a little more open yeah. form of communication. It does definitely feel that way. That a lot of the distrust that we see comes from conflicting information, especially over the pandemic. Right.
2: People don't know what to believe. They go down Facebook and they, that's their news. They go to, a, they see a blog, the article shared from 2002 and they believe it happened today. It's like, no one, everyone just depends so much on these apps. So it's like, it's hard for that to happen. But I mean, I think, yeah, the government just needs to be transparent, but that's hard because it's so much again to unpack. It's like, it's too much at this point. I think it's just coming down to like, this was possibly supposed to happen.
0: Absolutely. Well, Courtney, I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast today and talking to me about some of these issues. If people want, to, if people you know want to find you in your podcast, where can they find you at online?
2: Um, yes. Yeah, so, if you do have Instagram, I am on there at what two uh, the Barbie way with two e's with a the, and that's on Twitter as well. And my uh, tag handles as far as where you can listen to the barbie way podcast um spotify apple Podcasts, Beaker or breaker i think it's called sorry i can't even remember the name anchor just pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts
0: all right and we'll have some anchor, links for everyone down in the episode description so i want to thank you again courtney for coming on for everyone else we'll be right back after one final break with my final thoughts of the day stay tuned <laughs> Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us for this episode of Independent Thought. First and foremost, I'm going to thank my guest for this week, Courtney V. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and gracing us with your presence. Hoping to have you back on again in the future. For those of you who are interested in hearing more about Courtney V, don't forget to check out her podcast, The Barbie Way. It'll be linked in the episode description down below. And I'm hoping to have her on one of my panels in the upcoming future. So hopefully you'll get to see more of her then. Speaking of which, if you have not already, stop what you're doing and go subscribe to the YouTube channel, people. YouTube is going to be a very critical part of independent thought going forward. We will be having content on there that is separate from what's going to be on here. There'll be, there'll be stuff on there that just won't be on here. So you got to be subscribed to both. It is uh it is a both kind of world now. But speaking of the podcast, what you can expect coming next is I'm gonna try to get a bunch of episodes put out in the next couple of weeks here because I am behind a schedule, so usually you would get one or two episodes a week tops that might be changing very soon here, so I can get kind of back on track here because. The podcast has been a little delayed, as I'm sure some of you have noticed. Uh, I was supposed to put out an episode last week. That did not happen. The episode from the prior week came out on a Thursday. should have came out on a Monday. Everything is a little backed up right now. So truth be told, as I said at the beginning of the episode, I'll give you my reason for the delay now. Um, Your host has been having a variety of health problems uh, and they have been keeping me mostly out of commission. Uh, I think it's probably the best way I can describe it. I've been mostly out of commission for the last like few weeks here. Uh, It's been causing all kinds of issues for me. Um, You know, not gonna get into a bunch of different details right now, but, you know, medical stuff's kind of come up and, you know, it, it just felt, like the best course of action was to kind of put the podcast down for a little while and just focus on recovering. Um, so that's what I did. And, you know, I've been having some ups and downs, you know, I actually had to go in for a surgery. Um, but, you know, hoping that things will continuously get better from here on out. But you know, the truth be told is, I'm not sure if there'll be more delays with the podcast or not, but my hope is that there won't be. Hopefully there'll be smooth sailing from now until the end of the season. Uh, but I'll i will uh, I'll keep you all updated on that. But hopefully, uh, it'll, again, it'll be smooth sailing. My season, if it ends on time, <laughs> will now, it should be ending in about a month. I have, I think, six or seven more episodes planned before the season ends. I'm looking to end the season... Uh, in the middle of December, about a month from today, actually. So uh, I should be getting a, quite a few more episodes before then. But then uh, just like around this time last year, I'll be taking my season break and I'll be gone for about six to eight weeks through the middle of December, through the end of January. We'll be returning um, first week of February. We'll be returning with season five. And I have a, I have a brand new format for the podcast I'm going to be implementing as well as a bunch of new guests and topics. Uh, So lots of things to look forward to, but I'll be touching more on that as we kind of get closer to the end of this season. But for now, I just want to say thanks to everyone who is sticking with me through this long year and for dealing with these delays as they've been going on. And finally, I want to thank, my patrons, because I've gotten quite a few new patrons in the last month and a half here. So, huge thank you to everyone who is supporting the podcast on Patreon. Um, it is it is monumental, truthfully speaking. Uh, all the things that I want to do with Independent Thought um, are becoming well more and more possible as I am able to kind of generate more and more support. So, thank you all for believing in the podcast enough to donate to it financially like that is that's that's massive and i'm incredibly humbled by it so special thank you to all the all the current patrons and the former ones you know i uh i absolutely you know bear no ill will towards people who signed up but had to leave you know times are tough for everyone right now so i totally get that uh so last but not least i just want to Say thanks to everyone who keeps up with me on social media as well. If you are not currently, please follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Independent Thought. Best place to keep up with me and the podcast. Thank you everyone for tuning into this episode. I will see you in the next one. Take care.